Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Adam, and today I am joined by Kara Parker. Kara is executive director of The Landing, a Houston-based nonprofit whose mission is to serve survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation with a trauma-informed approach fueled by the love of Christ Welcome to the podcast, Kara. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, excited to have you here today. Uh, and today what we want to talk about is, first of all, what is a drop-in center? Mm-hmm. We're going to get into that. And then how do they serve individuals experiencing exploitation? Um, and so Kara is one of uh, our friends in this work. Yeah. Um, the Landing is a great partner of Elijah Rising. We are often in the same area spaces, uh, doing mm-hmm. the same events, uh, raising the same awareness. Um, so I knew that we had to have y'all on the podcast. Yeah. And so thanks. Excited about it. So first, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell sure. us a little bit about yourself. When did you become the executive director of the landing? Because, yeah. uh, we do have a good relationship with your previous executive director. Yeah. We can even give Natasha a little bit of shout out right? here. Um, and then kind of what does, uh, what do you do? What is your role until? Yeah. So I joined the landing almost two years ago, um, and serve as the executive director. So I came behind our founder, our original, um, yeah. ED and Natasha, who did an amazing job and then moved on to our board. Uh, and my role is really, I work with our leadership team and our board just to lead the organization overall. So, yeah. you know, I join partner meetings, um, do kind of awareness presentations, kind of look at how do we get the funding and the resources we need for our yeah. organization. Um, really depends on the day. Sometimes we do podcasts, you know, yeah. whatever it might entail. <laughs> I think I remember your either it was like your second or third day mm-hmm. or like your first week maybe on the job. Wasn't it at the Christmas breakfast? It was like week two, maybe. It was okay. pretty early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh hi, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh so how did you end up in anti-trafficking work? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not work for the faint of heart, especially in your role as someone who is leading an organization. It's not, this is not for everybody. Um, you know, there's a lot of secondary trauma. It's, um, it's tough work. So how did you, how did, I guess how and why. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't a direct path at all. Um, I spent a year after college doing mission work overseas. Okay. I did a program called the world race. And so I traveled yeah. around to different countries and I saw a lot of anti-trafficking yeah. work in countries like Thailand or India. How many and countries did you go to? I know a little bit. I went to 11 world. countries. So yeah, I went to how- 11, spent a month in each place. Yeah, kind it's of, wild. It was, it was nuts. Like yeah. really just expanded my worldview, showed me so many different things. I got to see just a really amazing picture of how the church came together Mm -hmm. to step into these dark places and bring light in. And I think it, you know, while I saw so many hard things in that and so many hard realities, poverty, trafficking, just exploitation of vulnerable people. I also got to see a lot of ministries that were doing really incredible work either to prevent people from having to go into that or intervening or providing aftercare. And so that's really what kind of opened my eyes to the trafficking issue. And then I, like a lot of people, I just thought it was international. And so, you know, I moved to Houston 
in, I was in the corporate world before coming to the landing. I worked in consulting and okay. just did a lot of volunteering and, you know, through all of the existing anti-trafficking agencies here, you know, I remember going to a documentary at a second cup. I mm. saw Freedom Church Alliance speak at a church, you know, just kind of seeds over time, really learned about the issue here. And then yeah. ultimately felt the Lord leading me to come into this work full time, right? As the landing was looking for someone for this role. So yeah. just kind of worked out. And then I guess as far as why I stay, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I definitely was naive coming in. I don't think mm. I realized all the things that the role would entail, kind of how heavy this work can be at times, but I just see the Lord really, really working powerfully, even though there are a lot of hard days. And so I think just continuing to feel like this is important work and yeah. it's something he's called, um, me into and, and, and y'all as well. I know, um, just trying to be faithful to do my part in that and really yeah. kind of do whatever I can. I think that's a really relatable story. Well, maybe not the, uh, you know, 11 countries, yeah. 11 months, but, um, you know, I, I'm sure from your work, you guys have done, you know, people all the time that say the same thing. Like I thought, I thought this issue just existed somewhere else yeah. and like just existed overseas. Um, what was that like for you to kind of have that revelation on the ground here mm-hmm. at home or like, you know, back in your, um, you know, where you live in your country and your neighborhood and your home, when you came to that realization, what was that like? Yeah. You know, I think it was just, um, it was just hard to believe it was actually here. And I think it was because I had a lot of misunderstandings about what trafficking looks like, particularly in a domestic context. And so, you know, I had a friend who was really passionate about street outreach and taking me out or kind of showed me some of the hotspots. And it was when I started seeing, um, you know, like the Bissonette area, or, you know, that yeah. that's what it looks like here or one expression of it sure. in the U S. And so I think, you know, I knew probably like prostitution was an issue, but I didn't know so many of those women who were out on the street were actually being trafficked or yeah. even just, you know, all of the complexities of why someone's out there, even if they don't have a pimp. And so, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, I think it was start me starting to kind of look at social issues through a different lens and understanding, I probably see some symptoms of this, but I just didn't realize that what was, was human trafficking. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and that's really where our work, our, our organizations and, and many other yeah. organizations that we partner with really comes in. It's like, I feel like we're constantly having to do that education work all the time, you know? Um, so let's talk about drop-in centers. And, um, first I think it's important maybe to like just define the term, you know, so often, you know, I've been in this space for like 10 years. Right. And so we use these terms and sometimes you forget that it's like only we talk about things like this. (laughs) Right. And like the general public might not know what they are. So, so I want to talk about drop-in centers before the break. And then, um, so like, let's start with what is a drop-in center? What does that even mean? Absolutely. I mean, at its basic level, it's essentially a center you can drop into. So, you know, (laughs) it does have that going for it in the title, but it's, it's just a publicly accessible safe space. So it's intentionally a low barrier model where it's meant to make it easy to access services. So the landing is intentionally located on the Bissonette track, which right. is a hot spot in Houston. And so it's kind of walking distance for people to come in. You know, we really try to kind of um, limit the criteria re- required for service. So we'll work with anyone who's been in the life, even if they haven't been identified as a victim of trafficking. Okay. Um, and so in that, you know, we try to identify victims of trafficking, but we know there's such a low rate of identification among right. victims that right. we don't want that to be a barrier to a victim right. being able to get connected with services. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and really we try to be flexible kind of in the way that we serve. There's not a prescribed program that you have to walk through. Mm. Um, we let survivors kind of choose how do they want to engage. If they just want to get a meal and have a safe place to rest, um, watch Netflix, you know, they can do that. Or if they want to work with a case manager on their goals, um, work toward education or housing yeah. or um, transition even to becoming a survivor leader, we'll kind of meet them where they are and try to kind of adapt um, our services and let them kind of fit into the the program wherever works best for them. That is fascinating. So, and I love the way you define that, like a, a, a low barrier. What, how did, can you, it's a low barrier you? model, a low mm-hmm. barrier model. I mean, so what are, not to put you on the spot, but like, yeah. what are some of those other barriers that you're trying to avoid? I think that, I think the self-identification of like Absolutely. I am being trafficked, like we all know that that's a, that's really tough. Yeah. But what are, are there, other, what are the other barriers that you're trying to overcome? Absolutely. You know, I think we see a lot of people who they just aren't in a good position to be able to, you know, pick up and go to like a residential program, sure. potentially okay. like they might have kids. And so they need to stay in the area. Um, they need to be able to just kind of access services on kind of their timetable. Um, you know, we really try to be on like a bus route, you know, be accessible for transportation. Uh, okay. So anything that might just kind of prohibit from someone from being able to join, you know, programs, we try to kind of make it an open door for them. Wow. And, you know, capacity is not really, um, you know, knock on wood an issue for us because we aren't, you know, confined by like bed space right. or things because we're a daytime center. And so, you know, we can scale a little bit more and serve more people in that yeah. way. So, you know, I think different models have different purposes and, and sure. functions and that's why we all have to collaborate together. But that's yeah. sort of the intention with a drop-in center is really you can get to it easily. And, um, and it can be a flexible thing to kind of fit your needs. And in that we're hoping to identify victims and get them access to services. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, is this common? Like, are there, yeah. are there lots of drop-in centers and you're talking about a modality, you mm-hmm. know, uh, are, like, so certainly there are, this model exists somewhere else. Are you modeled on another organization somewhere? Yeah. And are there others in Houston and Texas and the United States? Like, what does it look like? There are other drop-in centers, but um, more often you see them with different populations. So they're pretty common with, like, the homeless population. And so you'll see it kind of more there. Um, The Landing is the only one in Houston that works specifically with human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation. And so, um, you know, we were kind of modeled after some other drop-in centers outside of Houston. Um, Our founders visited, I think, about 15 different drop-in centers across the U.S. Wow. and even the world, uh, and just saw these different models. Um, a lot of major cities have them, and it's um, for the wow. same purpose that we exist to try to kind of fill that gap between the streets and services, and just make an access point to services. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I really was not aware of that. I mean, we were kind of talking yeah. before we started hitting record. Like, I couldn't think of another drop-in mm-hmm. center, you know, and so. I think that unique role is so critically important. I, I do. There is another question that pops in my head. Yeah. I, I know that you guys are um, a daytime mm-hmm. thing. So is like, are there other drop-in centers that are overnight? And is yeah. there a reason why this model doesn't do overnight? Is that just a capacity issue or what do you, what's the thinking behind that? Yeah. So, um, there are some that'll have either, um, overnight hours. Uh, we, you know, we worked with one that's up in Seattle that has actually a shelter that's attached to the drop-in center. And oh, so cool. it gives them the kind of capacity to be able to do overnight as needed, or there's some that maybe shift their hours for a different time. Um, what we found with our clients is that daytime is a time when a lot of people have more autonomy, especially okay. if they are being trafficked, they can go about 
out freely during the day, even if maybe they can't at night. And so, um, that's really kind of where we set our hours. And then we do see quite a few people who are either experiencing homelessness or they just need a safe place to stay. And so that's where we work with shelters or others to kind of place them if they need overnight, um, assistance. I think it's a good segue into my next question. Mm -hmm. Um, Houston, I feel like I've been talking about this a lot on the podcast recently and on the previous episode I mentioned this too, but Houston has become this um, like hub for solutions to trafficking. Right. Like we have this title of being like this major hub for trafficking, but it really is like the more and more I connect with people in other parts of the country, like they're looking at Houston, like you guys have all the gaps covered, which we don't, we're working, (laughs) you know, obviously we still, there's a lot more work to be done here. Um, Trafficking is still rampant in this city, right? So, yeah. But I wonder, like a drop-in center, the landing in particular, like, where do you see yourself fitting into the larger landscape of um, anti-trafficking work? But and obviously, you're on the survivor services side. So, like, yeah. how does that? How do, how do you think about your your place? Yeah. In the because we have a ton of organizations doing a ton of work. We do, yeah, and I think that you know, your point, I love that about Houston. That's so great that I think there is all this collaboration, collaboration across anti-trafficking organizations, but even just across sectors, you know, there's a lot of government involvement or healthcare, others, um, with us. Yeah. We provide direct services to survivors. So that's really kind of our point. You know, we're not working with the traffickers or the buyers, but it's kind of services to the survivors piece. And then, you know, we work mostly, um, in either intervention with kind of outreach or even with having a drop-in center and kind of identifying victims and getting them connected to services. And then we do some of that aftercare as well. Um, just walking alongside them with whatever else they need. But, you know, we refer to quite a bit with other partners. Um, you know, I know we've even sent kind of to Elijah and rising for restoration campus. You know, if we have someone that gets to a point of stability and it's the right fit for them to go to that kind of a program, then we refer out or, you know, we refer with other programs if survivors need access, legal needs or housing or kind of whatever gaps we don't have within our agency. And then, you know, likewise, they can kind of send people our way. So I think that's what collaboration looks like a lot for us is just working to make sure that all of our clients, you know, collectively have access to the best resources and whatever they need. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, um, I know for us specifically for Elijah rising, obviously we're kind of known for our consistent intervention work and being out there and you guys are a great resource to just point people to like, Hey, I, you know, I realize you might not be ready to exit perfectly fine. We understand, you know, um, but there's a place right down, you know, go one more block (laughs) down here and you can find these amazing people who can offer so many other services, Mm -hmm. um, which that's kind of what I want to talk about on the other side of the break. So we're going to take a break in the podcast and we come back, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the landing and the programs you offer, um, a little, and take a little bit closer look. So we'll see you on the other side. Great. Take a second and think about how many subscription services you have. Netflix, Hulu, Spotify. If you're like me, you have more than you actually use. That money just disappears out of your bank account, or maybe you don't even use the product anymore. So why not donate that same amount of money to Elijah Rising and know that every dollar you spend directly serves those who are overcoming sex trafficking. We invite you to join The Rise. The Rise is a dedicated community of recurring donors who give strategically to fund the work of ending sex trafficking. Join our community of more than 200 members who have decided to rise up. $10 a month can provide services for women seeking to exit exploitation. $40 a month can provide job training and employment for an overcomer of trafficking. Donate online via credit card, debit, ACH, 
or Apple and Google Pay at ElijahRising.org slash rise. Hey, welcome back. Kara, the uh, landing has just celebrated five years of service. We did. I think y'all threw a party on the roof. We did. Well, it moved inside, weather uh, okay, you know, situation, all right, all right. but it was yeah. attempted on the roof. I almost, <laughs> I was planning on coming. You're right. There was some sort of a weather event because I was yeah. planning on going and then I think like it was raining or something. Turned um, into a sunny day after that. It was an awkward Houston. You know, shift in. but Houston, Texas, right. classic. Um <laughs> Kind of tell me the origin story. What yeah. what motivated the opening of the landing? Like, why? What was it about Houston's significant trafficking problem? Like, why did we need a drop-in center? Yeah. What was the motivator behind all that? Yeah. So it started with our founders were working with uh, another anti-trafficking organization at the time, and really just saw a gap in Houston um, for services for people who, for a range of reasons, weren't ready to leave their situation yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure you'll see on interventions all the time, you know, it's very rare that you talk to someone the first time they're like, yep, I'm out. Like I want services. I'm good. Yeah. That's, that is like the most rare. Yeah. yeah. Which I think there probably is that myth. I think a lot of people probably expect. Right. You're like, going to rescue just, them out. Yeah. And, and it's um, like not like that. No, yeah, it's yeah. definitely not. And you know, it's similar to like domestic violence. It, sure. it takes multiple attempts to leave an abuser typically for a survivor. And so, you know, often we see people who they don't even realize they're being trafficked. Yeah. Um, or, you know, even if there is some level of awareness, there are just so many barriers to the their exit, you know, whether that be, they need housing, they need a job, you know, they need, um, stable income and all of these things. And so, um, seeing that our founders really wanted to cry to create a a place that would be a safe space for people that could get service and support, even if they weren't ready to leave or until they were ready, or if they relapsed and went back in um, and just kind of follow them anywhere they were on that journey. And so that was really kind of the heart behind, uh, starting the drop-in center. And that's Mm. what spurred kind of looking into the model in other cities and what function it had played there. Um, was to try to kind of work with people in that place. And so, you know, even now we work with people who are still in the life, who are um, working toward leaving the life and creating kind of their safety plans and what's that look like and how do I get out? And then those who are on the other side and they just want that support around them yeah. as they're kind of moving forward with their life. It's so important. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like, and I, I, I'm, I wonder if you can relate, sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like we get pressure from um the community or even sometimes from, you know, the stakeholders, it's like, you know, why aren't more exiting? You right. know, why aren't you getting more out? Why aren't more people leaving? And so like, do you ever feel that pressure? Cause I mean, sometimes I'm sure, I'm sure you have clients that are coming in mm-hmm. and, and receiving services and they have been for a long time and yeah. they're still in the life. Like, mm-hmm. and how does that, like, do you receive pressure to like make that happen? And like, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, it's, it's a real tension. And I think it's yeah. something that even internally we have to kind of examine ourselves on of, you know, how are we defining success? Is it kind of our view of what success would be for that person or mm-hmm. is it how they would define success for themselves? And yeah. so, you know, with that, we still see, even if someone is still in the life, maybe they've taken steps toward being in a safer setting in the yeah. life. You yeah. know, maybe they're still, maybe they've find, found a way to kind of, um, you know, minimize some of the harm, you know, even though that is still a dangerous situation that they're in. And so we try to kind of work alongside them in that, but there's definitely kind of an external sometimes, you know, lens on this that, you know, success is getting people out. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we hope for that and we kind of walk alongside people in it, but we just know that there are a lot of realities to why, you know, people have a lifetime of trauma. Usually when they walk into our door, it's not just going to be an overnight thing that they, you know, go to counseling or join a, a support group and then 
they can, you know, suddenly move past all of that, you know, it's kind of a process. And so we really try to just kind of walk alongside people through that journey. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so important, you know, and then, although I guess on the flip side of that coin, there are those moments where you do encounter someone in the life and they're like, yes, let's go now. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so, but that's another benefit to having the landing, especially Mm -hmm. in its location is like, if somebody wants to leave right now, they know that they can walk in your doors and find a way yeah. to exit safely right mm-hmm. now. So it is kind of both. Yeah. Things. And we definitely see that too. You know, people who like they want a, a bus ticket booked or an airplane ticket booked and they're out and they have a safe place they want to go. And it was just the right timing. And yeah. I think it's absolutely just the Lord's hand over that, that there's that, you know, opportunity and that yeah. we could come across their path at that time. So, you know, it definitely goes both ways. Sometimes people are um, kind of working toward, uh, um, you know, their goals on a different timeline that we would have expected or thought sure. maybe. And then sometimes, you know, you just, you just kind of cross their path at the right time. Yeah. That's why I got to be ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So from the perspective of a client, so from the perspective of, let's say, um, I'm just going to create some character here in my head. Like, let's say there's a 26 year old woman mm-hmm. who, um, is, has been in the life for two years She's been on Bissonette for about the past six months. Yeah. And she, whether it's through, you know, um, somebody from your team that she has encountered or from another uh, organization like ourselves, she finds out about the landing and she figures out where you're located. Put yourself in her shoes and, you know, maybe, maybe there's somebody who's in the life here in Houston that's watching or listening to us right now. What? Like, and they go, okay, I'm going to go to the landing. What can they expect? What, what is the, um, I'm going to use a technic, a tech term, uh, mm-hmm. like what is the user experience yeah. of the organization? So like if they're on the sidewalk and they're deciding to walk towards you, what does that look like? What can they expect? Yeah. So if they do that, um, so we are located right on Bissonette. Um, and so with that, people can just kind of walk up. We're in an office building, which I think surprises a lot of people. They think, you know, it's gonna be the center at ground level. Um, but we're located up on the sixth floor of an office building and that's for a couple of reasons, but one is just discreet entry. You can come in and you don't necessarily know why someone is going in that building. Um, and so we try to protect confidentiality with that and make it a little bit safer um, and easier to access. Yeah. Thanks. We got that idea from others. So <laughs> the benefit of touring some partners. Yeah. Um, and then with that, you know, they can come in and um, we do a standard intake process. Okay. Uh, but we really try to make sure as soon as someone walks in our door, they're greeted, they're given something to eat, something to drink. Um, we know a lot of times when people come and visit our center, that might be the first time they ate, you know, in a day or so. And so we really try to just address basic needs and kind of be a, a support first. And then yeah. um, in our intake, we really try to um, kind of minimize the amount of information we ask for. Mm. We know that that can be re-traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people have to retell their whole story and all the detail again. And so we try to kind of keep it to just what we need to know, um, to be able to serve them while well and doing a needs assessment. And then with that, um, we kind of lay out, you know, this is our program here, are kind of the different you know phases you can fit into what seems like the right fit for you. And so they can kind of choose, do I just want to, you know, get something to eat, join some classes? Yeah. Do I want to be in case management? Kind of where am I on this spectrum? And then, you know, right away they can start joining if we have a support group or classes or they want to sign up for counseling or just, um, you know, come during the day and hang out, um, they would be able to start with services at that point. So if they've come to you before, Mm -hmm. like let's say they've come and they've, um, 
all they wanted to do was like rest and eat yeah. and then they leave when they come back again, mm-hmm. you know, if they come back the next week or something like, do they go through the same process or has it become like a, a relationship at that point? Yeah. You know, at that point, you know, we've got, um, great relationships with our clients. And so, you know, we, they would check in, we have a little iPad at the front, okay. um, but they would always be greeted at the front door. And then, yeah. you know, once they're checked in, they're good to go and they can just kind of, um, you know, spend time in the center and do what they want. That's amazing. Yeah. That is so cool. Um, so, uh, the landing is located in an area of Houston where, as you said, trafficking is like highly concentrated, yeah. right? Um, of course we've got new laws that are going in place right now. We'll which, see how that plays we'll out. We'll see yeah. how that plays out, which, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, so from your perspective, I, I wonder if you can think about the pandemic and yeah. think about 2020 and so much has changed. And I guess, I guess honestly, you know, for those of you who are listening out of state, so, um, we are recording this podcast on September 2nd. It'll come out later. Mm-hmm. But uh, yesterday, um, there is, uh, well, buying trafficking has now become a felony right. in, in Texas. But there are these signs all over Bissonette that, mm-hmm. are, that are posted that, you know, there's surveillance on Bissonette because law enforcement, government officials are really right. trying to crack down on Bissonette in particular, mm-hmm. very specifically. Um, so, look, I mean, you know, as you anticipate that, but also as you've seen the pandemic impact things, um, what, what, what effect, what, like, how is the landscape changing? Cause you're in the middle of it. Yeah. What's it, what's it, what has it looked like over the past year? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, COVID has definitely impacted that yeah. community, our clients. Uh, I think that zip code at one point, um, was the highest number of cases in the County. Yeah. And so it's been really hard hit just in kind of the area itself. Um, but yeah, with our clients, you know, I think that COVID has really exacerbated some of the, um, the risk factors for trafficking. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about what makes people vulnerable, um, isolation has been a big one. You know, if home's not a safe place for you, then people are spending a lot more time at home. Um, and so that was something that kind of inherently, um, you know, put people in kind of a a less safe situation sometimes. Um, and so we saw that we saw a lot of our clients, um, many of them are kind of living in poverty. And so, you know, just the financial hardship of this season has been really tough and we've seen a lot of people in crisis. So we've seen a lot more of a need for just kind of basic needs like food, shelter. Um, a lot of the shelters filled up at one point, just trying to put social distance. And so we had a lot more of our clients that we were placing in hotels um, until we could find kind of longer term support for them. Um, We saw people who had been out of the life and just because they needed to provide for their family, they went back into it. And so, you know, that was a really hard thing that's kind of occurred a lot in this season. Um, And then I think we just see a lot of people like online, you know, we're all on zoom all the time, schools closed, you know? And so there's been, I've heard increases of, you know, trafficking, recruiting online, uh, more trafficking taking place online. Um, We started doing uh, online outreach last year in part because of that, because we, you know, it's kind of ebbs and flows how much we see on the street, but we, we knew we'd kind of heard anecdotally it was shifting online. Um, but yeah, I think overall, you know, I had read some research last year that was saying that the demand has stayed consistent in spite of the pandemic. And so it's definitely continued. It's just kind of, um, trafficking has taken different forms, I think in this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell us about the the youth um, advocacy work that, yeah. y- that y'all are doing. 
What, what does that look like? This is a relatively new, newer program for y'all. What, what, what tell us about that? Yeah, so we started that um, actually March of 2020. So a okay. great time to launch <laughs> yeah. a new program. Um, you know, our advocates were Excellent. in training, and the world <laughs> shuts down. Um, but we, our, our drop-in center serves adults. So I yeah. probably should have said that. You know, we serve uh, men, women, LGBTQ community, but adults in our drop-in center. And we saw with our clients, um, many of them were first exploited as a minor. So, you yep. know, a yep. lot of it. Um, you know, they first entered the life, you know, as a teenager. And so we saw that need just to try to kind of get ahead of that some, and mm-hmm. you know, what we had seen in kind of the long-term effects of trauma and criminal records and things that become barriers in someone's life as they get older. Um, but we also, you know, had partnered some with other organizations, um, who were just at capacity with youth services. And so, sure. um, we started the youth advocacy program and it's, uh, essentially a 24 seven crisis response for okay. children and youth and Harris County and the surrounding counties who are um, trafficked. And so, um, you know, we work with partners like DFPS and law enforcement as they identify kids. Then we have an advocate who's on call and goes out and meets them wherever they oh, are. Wow. And then they just really form a relationship with them. So, you know, usually these kids are having to navigate a lot of different like agencies and people and yeah. you know, it's just a whole process. And so the advocate's kind of the constant that runs through it. So they'll go to their appointments with them. They'll wow. just kind of help advocate for them, make sure their voices are heard. Um, and so so it's, it's kind of a case management with a heavier focus on just the emotional support that they're providing. Yeah, And it's yeah. been um, a really neat program to, you know, to see grow. And I think it's had a lot of impact um, and it's field-based. So whereas our drop-in center, people come into us, you know, our advocates go out and into the community and meet kids at, you know, hospitals, police departments, or sometimes they just go grab McDonald's with them. So, you yeah. know, really differs. It's important to be trauma informed in that environment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What would you say? Um, we were just talking about it, but this has kind of become my favorite question to ask people on um, the podcast. But uh, what would you say is the most challenging aspect yeah. of, of your work? Really, no challenges. <laughs> All smooth sailing. Get out. That's the end of the podcast right there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but I think one of the things that is challenging is just there are so many kind of misperceptions about trafficking. Yeah, and I sure. think we see with the, you know, the survivors we serve, there's just a lot of like stigma and shame that they yeah. often have to face. And so I think just being able to, you know, be part of that kind of education and awareness and helping create that empathy and understanding for yeah. them is, is really important to our work. But that's definitely something that, you know, as we're trying to get out and share kind of our, our story with partners and figure out how do we partner well to support them. We're always trying to, you know, figure out how to, how to just, you know, navigate that well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, last question I got for you is, um, you know, I, I think sometimes in this work we can kind of, um, lose hope from Mm -hmm. time to time and, you know, and, um, we keep working and we keep working and we keep working and it sometimes feels like, well, we still have a massive trafficking problem. Right. Are we doing anything? Are we seeing any, I don't know if success is the right word. I just don't feel like that's an appropriate term, but like I'm at a loss for like a better term sometimes. But so I wonder like for the landing for you as the leader of the landing, what has that looked like? What, what does success look like for you? Mm -hmm. And, and, 
Like, what are, are there stories of impact? Are there stories of justice achieved? You yeah. know, that it, maybe one that you can think of or something. Just, I just always like to end on a note of hope right. <laughs> that, that we are actually making a difference here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, to your point, there, we just need to have hope in this work. I don't know how yeah. you can do it if you don't believe that things can get better. And yeah. I don't know if that means we are, you know, a year away from eradicating human trafficking or anything, sure. but like there are some major steps that we see. And so I think, you know, I think it's really just looking at all of the successes that are happening. And so sometimes we do see people get out of the life and, and that's really amazing. Sometimes we see them achieve a year of sobriety. Sometimes we see them get their GED, yeah. get custody of their kids. And so yeah. I think all of those successes are things that we really celebrate alongside yeah. of our clients. And those are, you know, huge goals that our clients set. And so, you know, that's really kind of how we view successes. All of those things are happening. You know, the more um, victims are out there that get connected with services, um, you know, the more people who have access to trauma-informed care, those are all, I think, really big wins um, in the anti-trafficking space. And then, yeah, I think as far as kind of stories and things I've seen, one that really sticks with me is we had a client who had overcome a lot of things. I mean, since childhood had experienced a lot of abuse and um, was uh, ultimately uh, trafficked in a a cantina and on her own, really before even making it to the landing, had left that situation, but was still dealing with a lot of the trauma from it. And mm-hmm. so, you yeah. know, we got to see her um, really just move forward and thrive in that, um, getting a job, kind of continuing her education, um, engaging in counseling, really growing and thriving spiritually as well. Yeah. And I think to the point where, um, you know, really just had an impact on other clients. She was leading classes. She um, really had an impact um, on our staff as well. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. you see those people who are just their overcomers and they, yeah, are not yeah. going to let Heck all the yeah. things that have been stacked against them, um, you know, keep them in that place. And so there are definitely those stories as much as we do see hard stories in this you know, yeah. frontline work as well. There are a lot of people who are really doing incredible things. Yeah. 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 And that's the hope, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the encouragement. Well, Kara, I, I thank you so much for your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know y'all are busy and I just thank you for your voice. Um, and, and I, I thank you for your work. I mean, it really is, there are so many pieces to this puzzle mm-hmm. and um, we can't all be all puzzle pieces, you know, and the landing really is this, I think in, from my perspective, like a very unique puzzle piece that is mm-hmm. filling, that is filling a role and a gap that um, is critically important that really benefits all of us, whether we're on the prevention side, the restorative care side or like anywhere in between, um, you know, you, y'all are important to us all. So thanks so so much and thanks for being on the podcast yeah and likewise elijah rising is that as well so we (laughs) so appreciate y'all i appreciate that um so where can people find you how can they support your work right now you know all the links all the things if there's certain programs you want to promote or events or whatever just go for it. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, if you want to learn more about the landing, all of our information is up on our website, uh, thelanding.org. And we always kind of say the ways you can evolve or pray, serve and give. And we have all of those opportunities kind of laid out, you know, we people who pray over, um, all of our client prayer requests. Like we really believe in the power of that. Um, and coming around them. Um, we always need in kind items. We need volunteers for outreach or working at the front desk of the drop-in center. So you can serve or you can give, which, you know, we're all nonprofits here. So (laughs) we always, Welcome Giving that. is important. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in particular, we have our um, our annual kind of Christmas gala that's coming up on December 3rd. So yeah. you can learn more about that on the website as well. That's awesome. I've been to one of those. Mm-hmm. It uh, was incredible and the food was great. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
What is an in-kind donation? You mentioned that, and I'm realizing that might be one of those words that we throw around. Yeah, what what would that look like? I mean, those are essentially just um, goods that you can give. They can be services too, but you know, we do a lot of um, giving out food or hygiene products or um, you know undergarments and things. And so, you know, we always have a needs list that's up on our website of things that you can give to survivors and kind of kits that we can put together that you know help meet those needs. Excellent. Well, thanks again so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we appreciate your work. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at ElijahRising.org slash donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.